But again, thank each one of you for being here this morning. Uh, it's snowing out there. That's something we don't see a lot of here in Central Texas. But uh, it's pretty, and it'll be gone tomorrow, and that's the best thing about Central Texas, uh, is we don't have to put up with it for a long time. Um, today I want to talk to you about abundant life. And uh, I heard a, about a man who called the church office one day, and and he said to the secretary, he said, uh, <clears throat> I'd like to talk to the top hog at the trough. Well, the secretary was a little upset by what the man had said, and she replied, Sir, I'll have you know that we don't refer to our pastor as a hog. Well, the man replied, I'm sorry, I meant no offense. I just wanted to tell him that I was going to write a check for $10,000 to the church. <clears throat> the secretary replied, oh, hold on just a minute. I think I see the big pig coming to the office right now. You know, it, 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 sometimes we don't think about abundant life like we should. We think about abundant lives in the terms of money and especially the world. But for us, it's spiritual blessings. The world looks at it in a different way, but that's not what Jesus had in mind when he spoke the words, in John 10, 10. I want to share, <clears throat> excuse me, I want to share what the uh, Amplified Bible says because I love it. It says, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. And this is Jesus talking. He said, I come that you may have and enjoy life and have it in abundance to the full. Till it overflows. Pray with me. Thank you, Lord, for this day. And thank you for the opportunity to, to worship you. Whether we're here in this building or whether we're sitting at home, I pray, Father, that you would speak to us today. That, Holy Spirit, that you would do the preaching, not me. That you would speak to our hearts. That you would help us to see. That you would, that you would show us that you would use this to make a difference in our lives. Because you love us so very, very much. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, all believers are those who, are, who have invited Jesus in, uh, to be their personal Lord and Savior, have eternal life. But not all believers have, or, or maybe I should say, live the abundant life. I believe the Bible says it is a privilege as a believer, to have the abundant life because you are a child of God. Look at your neighbor and say, I'm a child of God. And that's the truth. Don't let anybody ever tell you anything other than that. Now, for our lives to be abundant, we must have unlimited resources. And we find that in Jesus and only in Jesus. And he makes it clear in John 15, 1 through 5, that we must abide in him. We must remain in him. And he says it over and over. And to have this spirit-filled, dynamic, abundant, abundant living is not just for a few. But it's God's norm for all, for all believers. Without it, our lives as world-impacting Christians, is meaningless. Jesus said, 
apart from me, you can do nothing. Wow, that sounds like harsh words. But they're the truth, and they're right straight from Jesus. What we need every day comes from the Lord, and without Him we will soon yield to the worldly life. If we let circumstances, if we let circumstances control how we act and how we react, then we will be defeated. But we do not have to yield to defeat to the circumstances of the world. Why? Because through Jesus, we have victory. Amen? Say it with me. I have victory in Jesus. We do, folks. We have that victory. We need to claim that victory. So this morning, how do we identify and take possession of the abundant life? So I have five things for you this morning I'm going to look at. First, the abundant life is a yielded life. From Romans 6, 10 through 13, the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let, do not let sin reign in your mortal bodies so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. By faith, we are saved, and we identify with Christ. Now, Paul says that we're buried through baptism, and therefore, we identify with his death. And just as Christ was raised, we too can identify with Christ in resurrection. Colossians 3 says this, Since then you have been raised with Christ, Set your hearts on things above where Christ is, where Christ, excuse me, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things, for you died and your life is now hidden in Christ, or excuse me, with Christ in God. We're all made righteous or right with God when we were saved, but do we really? Do we really understand his righteousness that lives in us? Do we really? Whenever we were working in the Good News Club, I was told about this little kid. In the Good News Club, we share stories out of the Bible, and then we always have an invitation. And we ask, you know, if anyone would like to invite Jesus into the heart. And, and I was told about this little boy that said, no. I don't want, I can't do that. And I don't want to do that. And when asked why, he said, because that's going to hurt. You see, you got to understand. He, well, he looked at it, he was a little bitty boy, and this big old man was going to come inside his heart. He didn't understand. Sometimes we don't either. Colossians 1.27 says, To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is in Christ in you, the glory 
the glory of hope. So the question is, are you allowing Christ to live through you? Here's the bottom line. The abundant life starts with a yielded life. A yielded life to Christ. And this will take you above the circumstances that rob the life God planned for you. Second, the abundant life is a service life. For Romans 12, 1 and 2, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. It's good, pleasing, and perfect will. We, uh, excuse me, Jesus was our example. When it comes to serving others, he was the obedient servant. Philippians 2.8 says, He humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even death on the cross. As servants, we are to present ourselves, to, to show up, to be present. We are to surrender to the perfect will of God by faith. And I want to, I want to explain something to you about surrender. In World War II, uh, the U.S. servicemen learned something about surrender. Because uh, sometimes when they would take uh, prisoners, they would show up like this. Well, they had a grenade stuffed underneath the arm. And when they raised their arm all the way up, it would go off. It killed them, but it also killed the, the U.S. servicemen and women. So, if they didn't raise their hand all the way, they, ended, they, they were in bad trouble. This is the way we are sometimes to God. Amen? I surrender, God. No, that's not surrender. This is surrender. Holy exposing yourself to God. Holy allowing Him to work in your life. Holy, holy surrendering all the way. All the way up. No, I'm, I just want to surrender just a little part, God. That's not surrender. That's not surrender. As servants, we are to present our bodies. You know, God wants to control and use all of you and all of me. He does not want part of you. He does not want most of you. He wants all of you. This goes against our human desire because we want to be in control. We want to be in control of ourselves. We want to be in control, in some cases, of other people. And, and other things around us. But the truth is, we're really not in control of anything. As servants, we're, we are to present our bodies as living sacrifices. We see this in the life of Paul the Apostle. He said this, Paul said this. He was a servant of Jesus Christ. He was a prisoner of of Jesus Christ. He may have been in Rome. He may have been in a Roman prison. But he did not refer to himself. As a prisoner of Rome. You see to Paul. Prison was a part. Of the perfect will of God. And with this conviction. He lived life more abundantly. 
So the bottom line here is if we are transformed, if you are transformed and I am transformed, we no longer conform to the world, but are conformed to the perfect will of God, which in turn yields to the abundant life. Three, the abundant life is a separated life. Is a separated life. Romans 1.1 says, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart, set apart for the gospel of God. We are to be sanctified. We are to be set apart, coming out of anything, anything that is contrary to the perfect will of God. John 17.17 17 tells us that the word of God the Word of God, the Bible, has the power to separate the believer from sin. 1 Thessalonians 5.23 tells us that God the Father has the power to separate the believer and keep or preserve until the coming of Jesus. Ephesians 5.27 tells us that God the Son has the power to separate the believer unto righteousness, not having spot or blemish or wrinkle. 2 Thessalonians 2.13 tells us that God the Holy Spirit has the power to separate the believer unto salvation and service. Without separation, you can have a relationship, but no, or perhaps I should say a strained fellowship with God. Let me say that again. Without separation, you can have a relationship, but no, or maybe just a strained relationship with God. You can have influence without power. You can have movement without achievement. Try but not trust. Serve but not succeed. War but not win. So the bottom line, the abundant life is made possible by the death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and is made a reality by being separated unto him in our lives us being separated into him. Fourth, the abundant life is a spirit-filled life. In Ephesians 5, 18, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the spirit. Speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from, from the spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord. Always giving thanks to God, the Father, for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We, uh, we've been filled with the Holy Spirit. Amen. And the Holy Spirit indwells or lives in us. Once we invite Jesus into our heart. I want to look at this. Look at the story of Philip. When you talk about a man who was full of the Spirit, look at the at this story in in Acts eight and it starts in verse twenty six. And it says, "Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza.' So he started out, and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury." Of Kandat. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship the Ethiopian had. 
And on his way home, he was sitting in his chariot. He was reading the book of Isaiah, the prophet. The Spirit told Philip to go to the chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah, the prophet. Do you understand what you're reading? Philip asked. How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and to sit with him. This is the passage of scripture the eunuch was reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter. He was the lamb before it shears, or like a lamb before it shears is silent. So he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants for his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about himself or someone else? Then Philip began with this very, with this very passage. <laughs> and when you look at it, yeah, it's talking about Jesus. With this very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, look, here's some water. What can stand in the way of me or my being baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Went on his way rejoicing. We see that Philip was the spirit possessed. Philip was Spirit-empowered, he was spirit-led, and he was spirit-controlled. Bottom line, desire to be filled. Desire to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Ask God to fill you up and believe that he will. Believe that he will fill you. And let me make this perfectly clear, okay? It's for his glory, not ours. Amen? It's for his glory. And the last way that we can identify and take possession of the abundant life. The abundant life is a mature life. The abundant life is a mature life. Second Peter 3.18, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be glory now and forever. Amen. The spirit life has four stages of spiritual growth. The Christian life, excuse me. Stage one is a baby. When we accept Christ, we're a babe in Christ. A baby only thinks of self. If it doesn't get its way, what happens? I think everybody that's been a parent knows what happens. Because a baby seeks its own way, it often gets its feelings hurt. Don't give me what I want. I'm going to lay on the floor and kick my feet. The baby lives to be served, never serves. Drinks milk, but never eats meat. Cries, never sings. Tries to talk, but never makes sense. The second stage is the little child. The little child is often untruthful, envious, and can be cruel. If rebuked, they become martyrs. Oh, why'd you do that to me? If crossed, they often make a scene. They are good at repeating things that they have heard. 
In, adult, in adults, we call that gossip. They're given out to outburst of emotion or easily puffed up. They love praise and they accept it from any source. They seek only things that appeal to them. That's a little kid. That's a little child. Unfortunately, both the first and the second stage is all some Christians ever attain. They never grow past that. We can, but in lots of cir- a lot of instances, we've never been taught. We've never been discipled. Stage three is the young adult. This starts by putting away childish things and determining to grow. Determining to grow. They are stronger and they're more able to overcome their enemy. The young adult has a vision of the future and has the faith and courage to tackle it. A young adult prepares for the productive years ahead. The last stage, stage four, is the parent stage. This stage can be reached by everyone, but few ever attain it. The spiritual parent has peace with God and knows the peace of God. They rejoice in their spiritual children. That's discipleship. They rejoice in their spiritual children. If you've never discipled anybody, you don't have spiritual children. And let me just stop right here for a second and, and, and uh, give our pastor credit for being a disciple maker. Everyone that's ever been at this church has been, that's worked with Ridge will tell you that he spends time pouring into their lives. He spent, and, and that includes me, he spends time pouring into their lives. And you know what? He's, he is proud of, and he takes pride in his spiritual children. He rejoices in them. He, unlike some pastors, and I'm not picking on any particular pastor, I'm not standing up here today just because he's sick. I'm standing up here because, because he would allow someone else in his pulpit. You've seen Jeff up here. You've seen Braden up here. You've seen other people. That's because he rejoices in his spiritual children. And he wants them to use what God's given them. The parent stage, they've learned contentment in all circumstances. May not be happy, but content, like Paul said. They know where the true source of strength comes from. They look to the future, learning from the past. They know that all things work together for the good of their eternal life. And they enjoy abundant life now and will in the future. Here's the hard question. Where are you? Where are you in your spiritual growth? Let me wrap this up with six questions why you should desire to have God's Spirit fill you to the point of overflowing. Fill you the point of overflowing. You are filled with the Spirit that you may have joy. I'm not talking about happiness. I'm talking about joy. In the midst of everything that's going on around you, happiness to failure, joy will still be there. Ephesians 5 says, Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. 
Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord. You know what, folks? We need joy in our lives. Amen? We need joy in our marriages. We need joy in our church. We need joy in our city. We need joy in our country and in our world. That's something that people outside of those who are saved and those who belong to Jesus do not have. They do not have joy. Second, you are filled with the Spirit for, the, for service. Acts 6 says, Brothers, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. We need fathers who will stand up and be counted. We need men who will lead their families by being just like Jesus. Now is the time and today is the day. More than ever before, we need men who are going to be spiritual leaders in their families. That's the way God designed it. That's what God wants us to be. Now is the time and today is the day. Amen? Third, you are filled with the Spirit for power to be a witness. In Acts 1, it says, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the end of the world. Folks, time is shorter than we think. And there are thousands of people who die and go to hell every single day. I'm not talking about people in some other place in the world in the in the dark parts of the Amazon. I'm talking about people right here in Temple, Texas. There are people that die and go to hell every single day. And most of them, listen to what I say, most of them, not some of them, but most of them, because no one ever took the time to tell them about Jesus. No one ever took the time to tell them about Jesus. Well, I can just hear some of you going, well, you go tell them, Brother Joel, because you're the evangelist, not me. I am, and I will. But you have a story, and you have the power just like I do. I'm telling you right now, you have the power just like I do. You have a story. All you have to do is tell them about what Jesus has done in your life. Fourth, you are filled with the Spirit for the hour of persecution. Acts 7 says, But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and said, I see heaven opening the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this, they covered their ears and yelling, they rushed at him, and they dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. Whether you know it or whether you don't know it, there are people who are killed for their faith every single day somewhere in the world. We would think, well, that, that doesn't happen. This is, this is uh, modern. This is not. No, no, no. There are people who are killed every single day for their faith. We're headed that way right here in the United States. I'm telling you, we're headed that way right here in the United States. Why? Because we kicked Jesus out. We kicked him out of our schools. We took the Ten Commandments off the walls. And we removed prayer. We're headed that way right here in the United States. Our religious liberties have been chiseled away a little by little, by little just a little bit at a time. 
And because it's a little bit of time, we don't even recognize it. But it's happening. Oh, you can talk about God. And the truth is there are so many little G-gods that we can't even count them all. But mention the name of Jesus and the fight is on. Mention the name of Jesus and there's a problem. Persecution is coming. Persecution is coming. Feel, excuse me, fifth, you are filled with the Spirit so that you may walk in the Spirit. Galatians 5 says, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Everybody here knows what a shadow is. I know for sure. The shadow has no mind of its own. The shadow only follows. If you take a step, the shadow moves. If you stop, the shadow stops. That's the way we need to be, moving in lockstep with the Holy Spirit. That's the way we need to be. But sometimes it's like a three-legged race, and I'm sure you all have seen them before, and it's really hard to get two people to move their legs at the very same time. And sometimes it's like that when we, when we are following Jesus because we get distracted and we look off to the side. Next thing you know, Jesus is way up there and we're still way back here. You're filled with the Spirit so that you can walk in the Spirit. Sixth, you're filled with the Spirit that you may be led by the Spirit. Romans 8 says, those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Sons of God. Isn't that what we really want? Isn't that what we desire? We desire to be children of the Most High, to be God's children. But here's the sad part. We think we can do it ourselves. We think we don't need any help. We think that we can get to heaven on our own. I recently read a statistic that just blew me away. It said 60% of the people, and they're talking about the United States, 60% of the people see no need for church. That's the reason we don't have, of course, today is a snow day, but that's the reason we don't have this church just running over. 60% see no need for church. And they see no need for a relationship with Christ. Why? Because they can do it on their own. 60%. That just blows me away. 60% say I can do it on my own. God didn't think so. Otherwise, he wouldn't have sent his son. John 3.16. We've all heard it. Most of us know what it says. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. That whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. But to save the world. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have believed, or excuse me, not believed in the name of God's one 
and only son. When you ask Jesus to come into your heart, you're asking the Holy Spirit to move in. You're asking the Holy Spirit to move in and take control. And when you admit you're a sinner, when you, when you ask for forgiveness, then God starts to work in your heart. And then, and only then, will you start to experience what God has planned for you. And that is abundant life. Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. That's God's plan for us. So, where do I start? You ask. Where do I start, Joel? Let me just share something I read from Max Lucado just the other day, and it fits just perfectly right here. He said, Confession admits wrong and seeks forgiveness. Amnesty denies wrong and claims innocence. Think about it. Confession admits wrong and seeks forgiveness. Amnesty denies wrong and claims forgiveness. He goes on and he says, Many mouth the prayer for forgiveness while in reality claiming amnesty. Many mouth the prayer for forgiveness while in reality claiming amnesty. Consequently, our, our worship is cold. We thank God for grace that we don't need and our faith is weak. What we're really saying, what we're really saying to God is thank you, but I'll handle my mistakes all by myself. That's a bad place to be, folks. That's a sad place to be because there ain't no way any of us can handle any of it. If we, if we could have did that, God wouldn't have had to send his son. And Jesus wouldn't have had to die a horrible death on the cross for your sins or for mine. There's no way we can handle it ourselves. But instead of crying out to God, we're, we do this. We, it's, it's exactly like he said. We mouth the prayer for forgiveness while in reality claiming amnesty. Now, when you mess up, you mess up. When you need forgiveness, you need forgiveness. And God's in the forgiving business. Amen? And I'm glad that he forgave me. I'm glad he pulled me out of that slimy pit. And he wanted that. He wanted that in my life, but he only did it whenever I asked. He's standing right there waiting for you today. But you have to ask. He's standing right there and he's got this salvation in his hand and it's free to everyone that's here. It's free to those that are listening online. It's free. But you have to take it. You have to take it. And once you take it, then he can work in your life and he can give you that abundant life. But not until then. He's not going to force it on you. He's not going to say, here, take this. No. He's a loving God. He provides it. Now it's on us. Where do you stand? What will you do? What will you do with Jesus today? Stand in front of you. You know, I think about Pilate and Jesus was brought before him and I think Pilate knew who Jesus really was and I think in his heart, he knew that he was innocent. But he didn't do what he should have did. 
Don't make that mistake today. Do what God's leading you to do. Follow Jesus. Ask for forgiveness. Get on your knees and beg for forgiveness because that's where we need to be. Pray with me. Thank you, Lord, for this day. Thank you for the opportunity to be here. Thank you, God, that you love us so much. And God, as we, as we read in your word, it shows us over and over about your love for us. It shows us over and over how we can have this abundant life. It shows us. And God, I pray that we would seek that abundant life. And we can have that through you, Lord Jesus. We can have that. It's not something for just, just for one person or two people. It's for everyone who believes and calls upon your name, Lord Jesus. So today I pray and ask in Jesus' name that you would speak to us, that we would open our hearts, that we would move past this, I don't need that in our lives, and that we would confess, and that we would admit, and then we would say, I need you, Lord Jesus. I need your forgiveness. I need your mercy. I need your grace. God, help us to do that. Give us the courage. Lord, speak to us. As we go into this time, speak to us. And I pray and ask that in Jesus' name.